We've been talking to you about the value, the importance of continuity of mindfulness. Developing a practice that supports this capacity to pay attention and to see if we can establish that in a way that it becomes effortless, easy, a habit, this paying of attention, noticing what's happening in experience, and being offering the suggestion of finding a, a place, a way of relating to your experience where the mind can easily settle and steady. We've talked about using the breath, using the body, the felt sense of the body, the different sensations or the posture of the body, or sounds. So ways we can steady, collect the attention. So this is, in some ways, the foundational aspect of our practice, is collecting, gathering, establishing of attention in this simple way, in this direct way, moment after moment. Of course, recognizing that this is something that takes time to develop. It's a practice. But that's the intention of our mindfulness practice. And we keep coming back, being willing to come back. When we, no- when we notice that we're lost in thinking, coming back. But this training is ultimately not just about paying attention to the breath or the body or sounds. It's a training of the mind. This is what we're doing here. We're training the mind certainly to pay attention, but in order to, in order so we understand this mind, understand its habits, its nature, and certainly understand the ways we find ourselves suffering through our habits of mind. The mind that pushes things away through aversion or resistance, holds on to things through grasping or attachment, worries and frets, is confused, lost or deluded. This understanding is so central because it's in the mind that both we suffer, but also where we can find freedom. Uh, the more deeply we understand the nature of the mind, both in its content, not so much in the story, but just in these basic movements that I just described, but its nature in that it too is subject to the three characteristics. It's not permanent, not perfect, and not personal. It has its own conditioned nature. And so the more deeply we understand that, we, we, we find a, a wise relationship to this mind where we can actually train the mind and understand the ways we actually cause more suffering for ourselves and for others and how to find freedom, release that, let go, struggle less. So key to that is actually working with the mind directly. And again, it's not that you haven't been doing this already, but today I want to focus particularly on mindfulness of thoughts. And this is one of the most challenging areas of our practice because it's through our thoughts we create the world. We create the sense of self, all of the modes of being that I just described, of liking, not liking, pushing away, holding on to, mainly happen through the mind. There can be an energetic component to them that we can feel in the body, but it's through the mind that we create these constructs, these relationships. And so as the mindfulness finds some uh, steadiness, as we uh, develop this sense of connecting to the present moment, we can begin to include more and more the actual process of thinking as an object, as a field for our mindfulness. The challenge with thoughts is they're so slippery, so quick, and we so easily identify and get lost in them. 
So often as we're learning or even developing our capacity to be with thoughts, it's not that we go along for the ride. Sometimes we can do that. We can actually be mindful that we're thinking. But for what I'm going to talk mainly about today is this awareness of the thinking process itself and then having a wise relationship to that. So that can begin with, as we've said again and again, when you notice that you're lost, which usually means you're thinking, thoughts of past or future, even commenting thoughts about the present. Our practice has been to say something like, not now, or come back, or what's happening, and come back into connection with the breath, the body sounds. But it can be really helpful to actually recognize, again, not getting lost so much in the content or the story, but what the thought was about. So we can sometimes even use the note very simply, our thinking, or future thinking, thinking about the past, just to give us uh, a sense of where the mind tends to go. It can also be helpful to give a more specific name, remembering, worrying, work, family, body pain, whatever it is that the mind is going to, that naming, clearly knowing, helps us understand the mind and again, its habits and its tendencies. And there can often be little less gripping, little less being lost in the thinking when we give it that clear name. So using that gentle noting, if that's helpful, um, the, and the word itself and, and, and giving a, a name for the construct of thoughts that you've been having, the story train you've been on, could even just be fantasy, you know, projection, judging, worrying, sadness, whatever it is. If the thoughts are very persistent, obsessive, coming back again and again, again, helpful to name the whole concept around the thought, but there's usually some underlying emotion. And this is where mind, body, thoughts and emotions are very intertwined. And so if there is something that's recurring, has some energy to it, as well as naming or knowing what the theme is of the thought, dropping into the body. What's happening here? Is there agitation, contraction, heat, energy, pulsing? So we pay attention to both because, as I said, it's so easy to get lost in the thoughts. It's really helpful to ground in this direct felt experience of the body and its response. And until we fully understand this physical, energetic, emotional response, and have some wise relationship to that, it will keep spinning out the thoughts. And so learning how to skillfully go between the recognition of the thought, the kind of thought, and then dropping into the felt experience, this is a really skillful way of relating to the thinking mind. Because so much of the time we're thinking, we're commenting, we're narrating, we're judging, we're figuring out. And so we start to understand this about the mind. It's push and it's pull, the places it gets lost. So we can begin this practice of being aware of thoughts just by starting to see a thought for what it is. What is a thought? They're so familiar and so close to us so much who we think we are and how we relate to the world. It's like a fish swimming in water. We don't often notice even that we're having them. And so in meditation, we can actually, out of the sense of presence, perhaps see a thought arising or recognize thinking is happening while it's happening. Perhaps even see a thought end. So this question, you can ask yourself, what is a thought? How do I experience a thought? Where is a thought? And again, not to figure this out, but the asking of the question helps us create a mindful relationship to this process of thinking that's so familiar to us. So as an experiment, just while we're beginning our meditation, I invite you to consciously 
form and think this thought and then be aware of the nature of that thought. What is it that's actually happening in the mental field? And the thought is just the very simple one. I'm sitting in the meditation hall at Spirit Rock. Some people are more visual in their thinking. Some people hear their own voice. Sometimes thoughts have a flow, might even be seen as words or felt even as words. It's an unusual experience to actually turn the attention to this process of thinking. But we can train ourselves to do this. So now I invite you, as you steady your attention in the felt sense of the body or the breath, maybe sounds, to notice the next thought that you have once I stop speaking. Sometimes when we give that instruction, people find there's a space, almost a waiting for the thought. Know that quietness of mind. This is actually a profound experience, to be with quiet in the mind. The mind that's open and receptive, not filling the space with sound, with thoughts, with ideas. And then what was it like to notice the beginning of that initial thought. Could you stay with it? Could you hear a whole sentence? And then what happened next? So every now and then you can actually play what we call a thought game with yourself. Let me be aware of this next thought that happens and see what actually is that experience like. Can you be mindful of the thought even in its arising? some degree of persisting, and then even perhaps see the end of a thought and then silence again. So we start to get interested in the very nature of thoughts, their arising, their conditioned nature, perhaps their ending. We start to name and know thoughts, the content that we tend to go back to. Again, as best we can, not saying we're going to get lost in the story, continue the thought. But not immediately, as soon as you know you're thinking, it can be kind of like a fly swatter. Oh, stop, get out of here, bad, wrong, back to meditation. We want to open to the fullness of our experience, which includes the mind and thinking. So we include that process in our mindfulness, but not being lost or identified with it. What was happening? Oh, thinking about. What was? Some thoughts are very ephemeral. They kind of don't have much impact. We can still know them. Others can really uh, be quite profound or challenging, bring an emotional field with them. Can we know that? Can we be with that? So learning a skillful way to relate to thoughts where it's not pushing them away, swatting them away, that meditation is about not thinking, that's not the case. Our kind of meditation is about opening to the fullness of our experience, but learning how to relate to it wisely. Being able to develop the capacity to train the mind so it doesn't follow its usual habitual patterns that often lead us into suffering, lead us into the push and pull of liking and not liking, wanting and aversion. But we do this by including this important function of mind, the thinking, imagining, visualizing capacity, and including that in the field of our mindfulness. 
So helpful if you notice you've been lost in thinking. Again, just to take that moment to recognize what was happening, perhaps label it. Can be as simple as wanting, not wanting, or spaced out, deluded, fantasy. Maybe there's a storyline, you can name the content. And then what's the felt experience of that? So we don't immediately push away the thought, but we also see we have a choice about whether we engage with it or not, more than we think we actually have. It can seem that thoughts arise unbidden. We don't know why did this thought come. Yet they too are lawful. We create habits of mind that tend to repeat. And so this is a training to bring different habits of mind, creating more the habits of equanimity or patience or kindness, rather than resistance, fear, and judging. So we use our steadiness of mindfulness developed by grounding attention in the breath, the body, or sounds, but including this field of the mind, the life of the mind, skillful relationship to thoughts and thinking.
So this expanding of our practice to include the whole mental field, the life of the mind, is a, a very rich, um, necessary, rewarding, but challenging practice. If it's new to you or if you're developing this as a practice, really helpful to find, again, skillful ways of doing this um, and trusting the grounding of the attention in the body, in these places that we're offering, suggesting for this stabilizing of mind, breath, body, sounds. As I said, the foundational practices, but we're open, we include um, the thoughts, the thinking, the mental images, the stories that come. And just recognizing we spend a lot of time in that world and certainly out in the world, that's what we do most of the time. We're thinking, we're relating, we're figuring out, we're planning. We can't expect that process to stop because we come to Spirit Rock and now we're meditating. There's a momentum that we've built there in the mental field. And so wise relationship to that, beginning to include it in our field of mindfulness, but as I said, not getting lost in it, being able to see it for what it is, another arising, is kind of this just mental energy in the mind, this blip of energy. And we can see that if we don't get lost or caught in the thought, often it's like a like the fog was this morning, feels feel so solid at first and then it's gone. So we can start to see for ourselves the nature of thought and, and this wise relationship. And of course thinking doesn't just happen when we're sitting and meditating. Um, we carry them wherever you go, there you are, as one teacher says. Um, and so in the other areas of our day, certainly in the informal times, that can be a time when the mind just runs wild, again, with its commenting and narrating and judging and comparing and fixing. In the dining room, you know, yes, we can be aware of going through the food line or sitting or standing or whatever, but the mind is really where the activity is a lot of the time. So what's happening there? What's the flavor in the mind? Again, you can use these big, broad brushstrokes of liking, not liking, greed, aversion, delusion, spacing out, or start to know, oh, the content. I go into the dining room and I always feel a little fearful or anxious. Or I see the controlling mind coming up of wanting things to be a certain way, wanting a seat, wanting a certain dish to be served or not served. So we start to notice that uh, in our rooms, another place where you know, usually a lot of thinking goes on. We close the door and it all runs wild in there. Um, so what's happening? Can you pay attention even there? And again, not in a harsh way trying to shut things down, but in this willingness to notice, to notice, to be, to care about what are we filling our minds with? What direction is it taking us in? What's a wise response to that? And the same in the walking. Again, when we're doing walking meditation, it would be perhaps some of you, some of the time, can just simply be with the experience of walking, the physical sensations. But most of us can't, right? It's the mind is there. And so recognizing, when I, as I was saying, when I gave the instructions the other day, that it's a, it's a full sense door experience when we're walking. Eyes are open, often beautiful out, or even if it's what we don't consider beautiful, it's still something that we're relating to. Sounds, sensations, sight, smell, touch. So noticing all of that, but noticing how we're relating to that. What are we paying attention to? So every walking practice period becomes a chance to develop mindfulness out of this question, what supports the continuity? What helps me be without my present moment experience? What am I paying attention to? And what's my relationship to that? Because we can do walking again, and kind of look good from the outside, but be filled with resistance or frustration, but it's like a penance and we're doing it because we're told we should. We want to notice that. 
that's where the action is. That's where the suffering certainly is. That's where we're creating habits. So bring in the field of mental activity as you're doing the walking. Again, with this balance, sometimes it can be wonderful just to drop into the physicality, just feeling the body moving, getting in touch with sensations of muscle and bone and pressure and temperature, all of the different things that are changing as we're walking. But keeping, uh, being aware of, again, whether you call it how are you relating to that, or maybe there's this strong stream of thought that happens every time you do walking meditation, or every time you do walking meditation in a certain place. Can we notice that? And then, as we name and know that, if it's a strong pattern, what's the relationship in the body? There's this very um, strong feedback loop between thoughts, emotions, moods, thoughts, emotions, moods. We want to start to understand that. And again, particularly the ways the mind gets gripped gripped into wanting, not wanting, because that's where the suffering is. And what supports releasing around that? What's a wise relationship right there? And so, in you know, we're now entering, I don't know if you're keeping track, uh, but the second week of our time here, and can really feel the settling in that's happening. And again, I know it's still rocky, and we go all go through ups and downs, of course. But just this general trajectory can feel this container being really held with great care by all of us here. The, 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 the sense of continuity of practice, the, the care for each other as we move about the retreat center. So really appreciate that. And the silence. The, the holding of the container of silence, often challenging, but really feeling the benefit of that. And so just to continue deepening that care for the community in the container. And one of the ways we do that is to come to sittings on time and to stay till the end of the, the, the period. Of course, if there's some medical, physical emergency you need to take care of, please feel free to do that. But in general, we come at the beginning and we stay till the end. If you have a practice meeting during the time of a sitting, best to sit or walk somewhere else. So we keep this container of um, silence and stillness in the hall as, as best we can. And just to remind you that um, the council house is often available for sitting, uh, you know, if that would be uh, comfortable for you, but James is usually in there the days that he's offering practice meetings in the morning, but he's not here today. So the council house is available when James is not doing meetings in the morning, and there's some affinity sits that happen there, so it's um, offered just for those affinity groups when they meet. But apart from that, if James isn't in there and there's not an affinity sit, you can use the council house. So today, Sunday, usually on Wednesdays, it would be available in the morning. So just a reminder. And then the container is also held by how we are in the hall. Um, you welcome you know, to do standing meditation in the hall. We request not to do any movement or walking or anything like that but standing is fine, but also um, how we, you know, there's often bodily sounds of coughing, sneeze, of course, that's fine, that's just human body expressing its nature, but as best we can, the, the type of breathing we do should be um, so that no one else really can hear us from any distance, you know, that our breath is somewhat natural and normal. We're not doing pranayama breathing, any kind of strong or strenuous breath. It's to invite a natural breath. So we maintain this sense of simplicity in the, the practice and the container in the hall, and that can also really help the sense of us um, supporting each other in our practice. So I'll just finish... Um, with the two announcements, first of which I've already kind of commented today is Sunday. So some of us are doing meetings today and some off, so you'll know in the practice meetings you'll skip a day, so please do check the board. And Young will be sitting in with me in the practice meetings this morning. Okay, so we have time. If there's any uh, questions about your practice, Temple is already a few. Get the thing turned off. Just pick pick out. They're at the back, I think. 
Put your hands up again. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.